Hello everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we are reviewing episode 9 of season 1 of Strange New Worlds, All Those Who Wonder. Like always, I'm your host Clarence and I'm joined by my fellow co-host slash Trekkie, Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, dude? I'm good, man. I'm good. Coming off of a nice holiday weekend. I hope everybody else listening had a wonderful weekend as well. Excited to talk about this episode with you. I'm curious as to your thoughts. Indeed, it was a great one. That's my high level right there. But we'll, we'll get it was detail. a gorn good time. A gorn good time, dadgummit. <laughs> <laughs> right now, we're going to get into feedback from last week's Trek trivia. Will you tell us what last week's Trek trivia was? And I'll give the feedback. So last week was kind of a long, drawn out question. But suffice it to say, I'm just going to summarize it and say we were looking for what well, we knew the creators of the one website we use to reference all things Trek, and that's Memory Alpha. And the creators, you know, we show appreciation to Harry Dodema and Dan Carlson for creating that awesome site. But there was one other person that was integral in the creation of Memory Alpha. And who was that person? Again, writes Harold Connor. Hey, what a great trivia question. It's Lamb Top's play along. The answer is the great <laughs> Shari Lewis. She mm-hmm. co-wrote the TOS episode, The Lights of Zetar, along with her husband, Jeremy Tarcher. This is the episode where we're introduced to the planet that serves as the Federation's mega library, Memory Alpha. And is that right, Judd? That is correct. That is correct. This, man, let me tell you. <laughs> I don't know if this guy is like just as much of a tricky as we all are, <laughs> or he just has mad research skills because that took me a while to kind of, you know, source the information and all that. So kudos to uh, Harrell Connor. Good job. Absolutely correct. Indeed. He is always on it. And guys, if you're listening, don't don't let Harold get all the joy here. If you want to challenge these trivia questions, you can send those into fans at discussingtrek.com. Or hit us up at Discussing Trek on any and all social media, because right now, Harold is like way ahead. So who's, who's going to try to catch up with him? <laughs> and we may, we I may have to start uh, issuing a prize here some Ooh, kind of way. So interesting. we're, we're going to have to work that out and see, you know, if you guys just want uh, Mr. Connor to take all the prizes, that's up to you, you know, but just be listening. We may offer a prize. Indeed. So we're going to get right into our review of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, All Those Who Wonder, which was written by Davy Perez, while Christopher J. Byrne directed the episode. The USS Enterprise crew comes face to face with their demons and scary monsters, too, when their landing party is stranded on a barren planet with a ravenous enemy. So if you have not seen this episode, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this point forward, Spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. All right. The spoiler warning has been dropped and we are ready to dive into this episode. Jonathan, high level thoughts of all those who wonder. Hmm. Well, <laughs> You know, this one was weird. Okay, well, let me let me start by saying this was a great episode and I really enjoyed it. The reason I was hesitant is because the first time I watched it, it was like my phone wouldn't stop like getting text and there was work happening. And then my wife's talking to me and I keep pausing and this guy, you know, doorbell ring stuff. So, you know, I was just kind of in and out of it. So and then I had to go back and watch it again. And I did indeed see things that I kind of missed out and didn't fill in. So it kind of left me a bit choppy on the details. But overall, just to speak to how great the show is, I still really enjoyed it. There are some questions and there's a couple of things that I may say was, I don't know, I guess it it had to come at some point, but more of like maybe just an easy way to stay in canon. But we'll talk about that. But overall, it was a great episode. All right. Well, as for me, I absolutely love this episode. It's at the top of my Strange New Worlds list. It's just a fantastic episode. If you talk about cinematography, special effects, 
uh, some of the techniques they used for the Gorn, I think were really good. And we'll get into some of that. You may have seen some of that if you watch the Ready Room with Will Wheaton, where they talked about some of the effects and stuff they used. Do we actually watch that? I'm just saying. Yeah, well, well, I'm, I'm going to give a tip. <laughs> I'm going to give a tip to anyone listening right now. If you just have a day where you don't have anything to watch, I would just go to YouTube, start from whatever episode, was, which was the last one you watched, and just binge them. Because I binge like three of them in one day. The rating rooms? Yeah, man. It's good. It, it's <laughs> good tips. I skipped through a lot of it. I skipped through a lot of it, admittedly. I love Will Wheaton, and I love the idea of the rating room. And you're absolutely right. There's some good tips and good backstory there. But he's just overly enthusiastic for me. And it just, just, I don't know, it's hard, man. It's hard to watch. How how do you feel about being in the Star Trek family? (laughs) This family that we've had for so long. He's just such a fanboy of the franchise. Like, and I don't, I don't mind fanboy, but I mean, honestly, honestly, I think he's trying too hard to make it look fanboy. And I know he loves Star Trek. I I do know that. But. He's just like over the top, over, over, over the top. He's definitely annoying. He no doubt. <laughs> um, and I just think of other people who do Star Trek podcasts like uh, Robert Duncan McNeil and Garrett Wong and even yeah. and, 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 and even Gates McFadden as well. Yeah. They are they love the franchise. They love being in the franchise. But when I listen to their individual podcast, I never get the same feeling I get of Will Wheaton on Ready Room. Where he's just so happy to be there, and he's such a fan. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking about him. I'm, I'm really not. But he, he does geek out over the top. Yeah, and I think, it, and I think it's more or less because he's. I don't know if I want to say forced to be that way, but I mean, I'm pretty sure they want him to sound excited as possible. But I true, I honestly don't think that's like that's the way he talks about Star Trek. No, I think that's the way he talks about Star Trek. I just do think, you really? Yeah, I think that's just who he is. That's just who he is. Because uh, again, speaking of Gates McFadden's podcast, Investigates with Gates McFadden, he was actually on the episode, and he geeks out just as hard on that as he does on anything else. You know, he's been on some of these. Um, I think Geek and Sundry. They had like a a, a, a a tabletop podcast that he was on, a video podcast that he was on several years back. So yeah, he he's like a Uber geek and he really is genuine, but it's just it's still kind of annoying, let's just be honest. <laughs> uh well may I mean maybe that'll make me feel better. If like if that really is him, then you know, I give him a pass. But I just it, that it just seemed forced. Anyway, that's not what we were here to talk about. <laughs> well, sorry. let's let no. It's a, it was a good aside. It was it was definitely a good tangent there. But let's get into this episode and and what I have written down first top of my list is storylines, storylines, storylines. And what really makes me appreciate this show is that they came out saying that we're going to have these self-contained episodes. We're not going to serialize it like the Discovery or Picard. But oh my God. They have managed some way to intertwine each of these character arcs in such a way where we get the standalone episodes, but it gives you such a fulfilling feeling when we talk about where these characters (laughs) have come from the beginning to the end of this season. Yeah. So I want to say that to get right into Cadet Uhura. You know, she says she wants to head back to Earth as she's still searching for what she is supposed to do. What are your thoughts on her arc in this episode and maybe just for the whole season where we've come with her and this realization that we get at the very beginning of the episode? So far, I'm loving I'm loving her growth in this series. And I mean, just just to have a backstory on her that we didn't know previously, like who would have guessed? Like if you're just watching TOS, like would that be the one that you thought like I just wouldn't have thought she would have been hesitant about Starfleet? Yeah. You know what I mean? I just wouldn't have thought that. But I mean, you can kind of tell just by the rest of the crew and the TOS, you know, Kirk's crew, you can tell by the rest of them, like just how I don't want to say abnormal, but they don't operate like I would assume a normal Starfleet ship would operate. And how much fun would it be? And now we get the backstory on Hura and like how she's starting to come to love this crew and this ship. And 
I, I just think that's awesome. That's amazing. Uh, but uh, to say it's a revelation, I think we kind of knew she didn't want to do this. Yeah. We kind of knew she would probably be, be leaving. Uh, but I mean, I guess now it's just kind of set it in stone. I guess what I didn't know though was it was a planned exit. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know they were in like a temporary rotation. Yeah. So I guess at the end of their training rotation, they make the decision uh, to stay on or, you know, just go back to the normal lives. But like she said in that opening monologue, most people know that's where they want to be and they have been driving for that their whole lives. Whereas she is just so naturally gifted at doing this. She never really made the decision of I want to go into Starfleet. I want to make that my career. She just needed an escape. Right. Yeah. So I just feel the way they have presented that throughout the season, showing her bonding with the chief engineer, Himmer, and him being sort of a mentor to her throughout the season. I just feel like the way they presented and executed that whole storyline has just been fantastic. So let me ask you this. And I mean, looking at it now, you say, yes, that's absolutely perfect fit. But at the beginning, would you have expected her and Hammer to have a relationship at all? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Like for me, I was thinking it would have been more like uh, Lanon or Una would have been more of her mentors. Yeah. Especially if you look at kind of how she carries herself in TOS. Yes. It just it just makes me want to know more about that character. And again, it was the 60s, but her <laughs> role was very much diminished <laughs> as, as you look at how she is now versus how she is on, on TOS is very different, very yeah. different. And, you know, she's one of the most brilliant people on the ship. Right. And that that's that's something else that's surprising. And they kind of touched on that quite a few times in this episode. And it was almost borderline too on the nose, but I was okay with it. But they just kind of made it a point to point out where she excels. And it's great that she excels in everything. I just wish we would have saw more of that in TOS. But in her defense, the few episodes in TOS that she was a prominent character, she was very prominent. Yeah. So we also get introduced to Cadet Chia and Ensign Duke. Wait, do I have to drink for that? Ensign Lute- <laughs> now Lieutenant Duke. As he ranks up while we have that proceeding at the very beginning. So I almost instantly thought that they would not make it <laughs> introduced. <laughs> like new character, never heard of him before? Yeah, probably not gonna make it. Thoughts on Duke. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy, man. Like, he's the first red shirt to make it, right? <laughs> he's got a promotion. But yeah, he's moving up in the world and all of a sudden he's red shirted. <laughs> Yeah, I don't mean to jump ahead. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I was kind of like, I was like, I was with you. I was like, why are we introducing these people now, yeah. and why are we making him so prominent? Other than we're going to kill him off. Yeah, I still thought seeing Cadet Chi and Ensign Duke was was pretty cool. You know, even though it kind of came out of nowhere, we may have seen him throughout the season. We just didn't notice, possibly. But it made me feel bad for an Ensign Harry Kim as well. Ah. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to have to listen. I think Harry was very happy. (laughs) Oh, boy. It sucked. I mean, he got a promotion, not in rank, but I think think by the end of it, he was just as equal to everybody else. But I guess it doesn't matter once you step off the ship. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, how did you feel about the recognition of Laon's mental health retreat or health break in this episode? (laughs) let let me start with how i felt about it it was very subtle they gave us enough information to kind of know what was going on but like we have kind of said in a few other aspects of strange new worlds versus a discovery they didn't beat us over the head with it right and and that was a good thing like i I think we mentioned that in discovery like it got to a point like it was like you're watching a episode of dr field a lot of times (laughs) (laughs) And it's just too, we got too far into the emotional and the feelings and the, like, we're here to watch Star Trek. And, you know, from what we've seen, TOS and Voyager and TNG, like, that's a certain thing we expect when we say Star Trek. But you get to Discovery and it's more of a soap opera because they're beating us over the head with everything that's not Trek. Yeah. 
well, not I'll say I'm not gonna say not Trek, but not a big part of Trek. So yeah, yeah I definitely appreciated the fact that they didn't beat us over the head with it. I, de- I definitely enjoyed the little comedic relief about it. You know, she came in. <laughs> Said I've been speaking with the mind shrinker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good. So yeah, definitely. And I mean, if anybody in any trick needed some help, it was her. Well, yeah, and and again, those reoccurring themes throughout the season with her and Agorn, we're gonna revisit that in this episode as well. Right. But I do have to ask a question. If we were to have a imaginary cook-off in Star Trek hitting mm, a one do Captain Cisco versus do a Captain Pike, who would win that contest? Because right now, I don't know. I don't know, uh, man. Uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to do it. Uh, <laughs> listen, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still going to have to go with Cisco because he has a Creole-like base to his cooking. Yeah. <laughs> and it was passed down through his family like he's like he can cook jambalaya from scratch like it's a pinch of this and a pinch of that and a dash of this instead of measuring Mm -hmm. i think pike is a great cook but just for normal stuff like he can cook (laughs) you a heck of a breakfast he can make a great pizza or you know we could make some spaghetti or something but like if you want to get some gumbo jambalaya some etouffee (laughs) that's good right see you get that response so I'm still going to have to go with Cisco on that one. Yeah. Again, I just love how they have not strayed away from this Pike being a great cook thing <laughs> throughout the season. He's he's won over enemies with his food, with his uh, cooking techniques. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. Now, and now, you know, and bingo saying you have to try to waffle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, man, they just I love the way they're interweaving all of these character moments. Again, stuff we didn't really get to see as well done in Discovery. You know? Yes. And again, can I just give kudos to the Pike character in this? Like, it's <laughs> so like the the part, you know, after right when they're coming up with the plan and they're eating their waffles and eggs and all that. <laughs> and he said, well, well, we'll just load the kids up in the station wagon and we'll take a road trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was so good. And then to make it better, Spock's like, station wagon, Captain? <laughs> He's like, if you got to go, go now. Don't make me turn this car <laughs> So good. And he claps the little tongs at him. <laughs> so good, man. That's got to be one of the greatest lines in Star Trek. It is. <laughs> and he did it so natural. Like, it's he has fun with it. Like, his character is having fun in Trek. Like, the captain is having fun, and you can tell it. But also, Anson Mount is having fun doing it. And that bleeds through so much in this episode. In all the episodes he's in. Yeah, and, and it goes back to his character. One of the first scenes we see of this season is him watching you know, of, of maybe his Tom Paris-esque 20th century knowledge. He was watching the Data Ersta still when, you know, right. the first few scenes <laughs> of seeing this series. So they are definitely doing a great job writing that character. And man, just give me more. Give me yes. more. Yes. Speaking of that plan they were talking about, which was delivering power cells to K7 versus rescuing the Peregrine on the L-class planet Valero Beta 5. I kind of love what this plan provided was us having the away team be there by themselves and no real immediate help. Mm. I really like how they kind of orchestrated that. So, yeah, so we're off to the races. And can I say just 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 a moment of silence for uh, poor little K7. They have their trials and tribulations <laughs> like oh, they're boy. almost out of power now we know in the future we got a bomb and a, stuck in a triple and the triple yeah. like poor k7 <laughs> man <laughs> oh boy what really interested me about this peregrine is that it is it looks basically like a constitution class ship but it's a sombra class which i think i found it kind of interesting and they're very uh-huh. fast Right. Which I would like to know more about that because Mbinga kind of, um, you know, said its praises when he was speaking of it. So I kind of want to know about that ship. It's, uh, I, you know, I would too. But uh, when you search it on Memory Alpha, of course, the only reference is to this episode. So I'm going to have to open up my uh, Starfleet uh, book here, my shipyards book, and see if we can't find it. Mention a somber class. I know they allowed... No, that was Galaxy. They allowed for three more Galaxy class ships to be named in the future, but um, they may have allowed for a couple of more classes as well. 
I wonder, could that be the beginning of the intrepid class? Maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah, hmm. I, I found it so interesting that the design is the exact same. Right. And lo and behold, when we're on Valio Beta 5, just that beautiful, beautiful scene of when they land the shuttles and you can see the ship in the background. Just the visuals in this episode, I thought were really good. And I know I keep comparing this to this Discovery, but here, <laughs> here we have, they're obviously on a soundstage with the volume the big screen that projects this in the background, which I think they do it for their engineering and maybe a few other places, uh, their, their shuttle bay. But they did it here and created this ice planet. But I thought it was really, really well done versus where I guess you can. There's pros and cons. We're in Discovery. They actually do more on location shooting from what I can tell versus here. They kind of recreated this planet here. I, I thought it was really well done. I really enjoyed it. Again, just seeing the. The peregrine in the background, I thought was really, really fascinating as uh, as Pike wants to take these cadets on one last trip (laughs) in the station wagon, in the station wagon. (laughs) They should nickname the shuttlecraft. That'd be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. So let's 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 talk about this planet just a little bit. Not too long after we get on the surface of the planet, we see that something has gone terribly wrong. Twenty casualties. And one is the captain of the ship. And they seem to have been picked apart. Did you immediately think Gorn when we saw this these bloody bodies everywhere? The only reason I immediately thought Gorn was because, like I mentioned a couple episodes back, we always lead, like the opening sequence always introduces or focuses on two or three characters that this episode is going to be primarily involving. And one of those was Lanon and a cutback scene about the Gorn. So I just kind of figured when I put that together, I was like, okay, we're taking uh, Uhura and we know that uh, Hammer is going to be a part of it. So I know them two have some storyline. So what is Lanon's story? When we got there and seen dead people, immediately thought Gorn. So yeah, kind of. Yeah. So enter the Gorn and the ensuing horror movie that we get for this episode. You mentioned canon up top. I want to get more specifics on what you were talking about exactly about as it relates to canon in this episode. Well, I guess I've, a couple of things and one of them I don't want to get to because I don't want to make I don't want any spoilers. But and I guess you kind of tie into that. But technically, and I don't know, was it ever mentioned that no one has ever seen a Gorn until Kurt? I am pretty sure that's what happens. Now, I need to go back and watch the episode. I hadn't seen it in quite some time. But I'm pretty sure no one has seen the Gorn, supposedly. Well, at this point, I mean, and we'll get to the end of the episode. I mean, once we get to the end of the episode, not it won't be many <laughs> that have seen the Gorn anyway. But I, I, I mean, technically, they haven't seen a full-grown Gorn yet. So that's true. That's true. But you have Yohura, who of course is on the Enterprise <laughs> in the future, is Spock as well. And yeah. the Nace Chapel as well. Yeah. They all were prominently in this episode fighting or running or dodging the Gorn. So to say no one has seen a Gorn, I feel is just a cannon break. And even they say as such in those ready rooms you don't like as much, John. They, <laughs> they, they said this was an intentional break in canon. Now, I don't know how they can rectify that. They may say that, as you just stated, no one has seen a full grown Gorn. But at this point, I think we have so much knowledge about them from not only Laon, but other people in the crew that we know go on to TOS that right now it's just it has to be a cannon break. And, and I'm OK with it. I'm OK with it. I think about how they reimagine how they reimagined the Gorn. Of course, we saw the Gorn in that uh, Mirror Universe episode of Enterprise. But. The way they have reimagined them to be this terrifying, fast replicating species, it's just like I think they have really took the Gorn, Gorn to another level. I have thought of ways maybe they can kind of fix it to maybe get the Gorn to be as dumb and slow as they are on TOS. <laughs> I thought of a few ways of how they could do it, but but yeah, at this point, I, I love what they're doing. I hope they do something to try to fix it. But at this point, I feel it's just a break in canon, and I'm I'm kind of okay with it. And well, again, and you, 
there's still some precedent to it because, I mean, you have the mirror episode of Enterprise and the Gorn, the adult Gorn, looked a lot like these. But he was much bigger and so would, would explain probably less agile. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. So I'm, maybe. I mean, if you look at a very small alligator, is a lot more agile than the fully grown alligator. Yeah. I mean, just as dangerous, but maybe not quite as quick. So, I mean, that could, that could explain it. So there's, there's some, some wiggle room there, but we'll see. We'll see how they do it. Yeah. The only thing I really think is they're saying that they're, they're going to be classified because of some reason, but we've kind of done it already with discovery going to the future. <laughs> you know, you can't just see, keep saying stuff is classified. And even if that is the case, you have your Spock, you know, all these others who have seen the Garn at this point. So you really can't do that either. I was thinking maybe a way to make them slower and and less fierce, fierce, excuse me, <laughs> make them slower and less fierce could be that maybe they got some genetic, some version of the same virus that changed the Klingons into their genome somehow that could have changed them, you know, make them more manlike at some point. Yeah. Spock could erase their memories. Yeah, he could. There could be a reason he has to erase everybody's <laughs> memories, including his own. I don't know. I say they explain why Nurse Nurse Chapel is not quite as aggressive in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, at this point, I'm just willing to, and it's been a long time since I've been like this with Star Trek, but I'm just willing to take whatever they give me and buy it. (laughs) Let it go. Yeah. 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 Because it's been so good and so well done. You don't want to cripple the show just because uh, of something that was limited due to the time it was made, you know? Right. So, again, with the Gorn, I think they did something really cool. And again, this is from the ready room, but we got to see that the Gorn in this episode were puppets. They did puppeteering in this episode, which I think is awesome. I don't know if we've ever seen it in Star Trek before, but I thought it was brilliant the way it played on screen. Really? Yeah. Even that weird alien guy that you were just talking about is a puppet. Or parts of them is puppeteered. Well, I figured that the little two head pieces were puppeteered. Uh, And I remember, so you remember the uh, Andorians on Enterprise, like Mm. their antennae were puppeteered. Yes. And they were talking about how complicated that was to make those kind of move at the right time with the facial expressions and all that. And I was kind of thinking about that, looking at Hammer. I was like, I've never seen his antennae move. And I said, maybe it's because the puppeteering part, it may be too expensive or too complicated to do. But I mean, here they're doing it on everything else. <laughs> yeah, I'm really surprised that they put in the work to make that happen. It it looks amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kind of want to just see more of it. One of my favorite shows, well, is it Farscape? Yeah, I think it's Farscape. I hadn't seen it forever. That's why I'm forgetting the name. But it's like a Jim Henson. I think Jim Henson's son does it. But there's hmm. a lot of stuff on there that's puppeteered, and it's kind of cool, kind of cheesy, too, the way they did it. But, but yeah, I want to see more of that in Star Trek, man. You know, usually uh, anything puppeteered, you can tell, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, and I hadn't seen anything in any show or movie I've watched recently where there was a puppeteering scene that I couldn't tell. And maybe I did, and it's just it's so good now I didn't notice, as as was this episode. But the fact that that happened in this episode and it was that good. Like, I could have swore this was like CG. Yes. Yes. Like really good, good CG. And I actually crossed my mind a couple of times. Like, they must have spent a ton yes. to get this CG for these more. <laughs> like, I could not believe how well that. So, yeah, that makes sense now. Well, well they went practical. And, you know, that's kind of the battle these days where you're going to go all CG or try to go practical. And man, it just really works. And I just like, man, I want to see more of this in Star Trek. It's just really, really well done. And to see them put the work into making it happen. You know, I, bet, right. I bet these days it's just much easier to say, oh, just, just CG that, you know, <laughs> send it off to be <laughs> put it in post, you know. But yeah, they put it in work and they made it look very real and, and interesting. And now there were a lot of people saying this episode reminded them a lot of the movie Alien, which I haven't seen in forever, but I can see that parallel or that comparison mm-hmm. as well. It was another, I saw a, uh, a meme or something come up and it was from this old cartoon. Gosh, what was the name of that cartoon? It was like the hero was like, you know, in all white with a black mask and it was a robot. And then it was like this praying mantis looked like animal. 
Oh, oh no! You not talk about space goes coast to coast, are you? Yeah, the one that was. <laughs> no, no. It reminds me of like the little alien looking thing. Yeah, uh, I can't even remember his name, but I know what you're talking about, though. Oh my god! I, I, I should have screenshot it. I just hate that show, man. Space goes coast to coast. <laughs> But you know, Space Ghost was actually a Hanna-Barbera superhero cartoon. That's just a parody on that, isn't it? Was it really? Yes. All of those things that that appeared on like Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, and Space Ghost were all like Hanna-Barbera 70s cartoons. Oh, man. Hit us with that knowledge, man. Hit us with that knowledge. I did not know that. (laughs) I did not either. Now, not all of them. Now, like the creature that you're just referring to is, you know, I think that was created for Space Ghost Coast to Coast. But a lot of those characters, uh, like there is a family that looks like that has this glob with it, I think. on. uh, But anyway, long story short, a lot of those are Hanna-Barbera cartoon characters. Well, long story short, welcome. And what did you think about the corn? The corn. What did you think about the Gorn in this episode? So good that... I made you guys wait for my beats of the episode. How about that? Oh, we have beats for the episode? We have two beats. I was so looking forward to hearing this. Let's get it. So had we recorded yesterday, this is what you would have gotten for my beat. Gorn on the 4th of July. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So since, since we moved to Tuesday... For this recording, I have this for you. And it kind of ties in to what you just said. It And it is, the Gorn are alien visitors. Mm. Dissect that. Okay, all right. There you have it. Beats from Cal <laughs> Jones. So so do you want to know where I get that from? The, the, Orn, the Gorn are alien visitors? No, help us out there. Okay, so to me, the Gorn that we saw in this episode that we just watched are exactly what you guys were saying when I joined the call, which are very reminiscent of Alien, the movie Alien, the, you know, the species that we've come to know know as Alien. So I get that. The original Gorn, however, remind me that something was based on the original Gorn or the look, which are the visitors from V from the 1980s. Really? Are so, you serious? You go back and you look at the Gorn and you look at the visitors from the original V of, from the 80s and you pair them together. I think they kind of look a lot alike. Oh, I need to go back. I don't know if I've seen the original 80s run of that of that miniseries. Oh, I loved it. But anyway. So, yeah. Well, speaking of that and speaking of Alien, I want to know how you guys feel about how these guys procreate or how they... <laughs> spawn or how they regenerate or whatever you want to call it if you get as much as a spit in the eye on the face you might be having sex growing inside of you (laughs) (laughs) oh man just that's so creepy and just just thoughts on that overall concept in star trek and does this make this enemy a little bit too powerful with with that being the way they recreate I, I, so part of my, I don't necessarily will call it a complaint, but just a thought that creeps up when we are dealing with the Gorn in, uh, Strange New Worlds is like, this is a lot more dangerous character than we ever, like, you know, up until this point, like, we thought the worst thing that anyone in Starfleet face would be the Borg. Yeah. But technically, technically speaking, I would rather deal with the Borg than these guys. Because, I mean, at least the Borg has to get close enough to you to inject you with their tubules. And we already know if you don't pose a threat, they walk right by you anyway. And they, they're they only interested if they can gain something from you. These things just want to eat and screw. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially in their pre-adult form, they seem even more dangerous than they, than they supposedly are as grown, uh, uh, grown species. Even the little, like, four-inch ones. Yeah, those things are creepy, man. <laughs> like, they're just flying through people's necks. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> oh, poor Instant Chia. <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't have a red shirt, that's all. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> but yeah. what's interesting about the way they have conceptualized this 
is I've seen something almost identical to this in the X-Men comics. There's something called the Brood, which is a alien species in the Shi'ar galaxy in the X-Men lore that are very similar to this as in they don't hatch from you, but they do hatch their eggs in you. And instead of hatching from you, they take your body and transform it into this very similar looking, think of it as a flying version of the the uh, Gorn. Oh, wow. You know, whereas the Gorn or reptilian a little bit more, make it a little more insect-like, and that's the brood. Yeah. Well, wow. But, you know, just added to that, what really make these this iteration of the Gorn so creepy is that they're very much less humanoid and more just fierce reptile type beings. Oh. And that's so much more scary. It is. So let me ask you, let me give you this question. Who would win? Gorn versus species 8472. Ooh. If they are compatible, I would think 8472 wouldn't be compatible to um to be used to breed since they're a from a different dimension or fluidic space, whatever you call it. If that's the case, I think that they would beat the Gorn. But if the Gorn could just spit on them and what, you know, whatever, <laughs> I, I think I think they'd be in trouble, you know? <laughs> well, I don't know, man. Like, okay, these adolescent Gorn can pull a full-grown human being at a pretty good rate of speed. So that says, that gives yeah. you the strength. So imagine a full bl- a full-grown Gorn, the strength capable and the veracity, you know, at least Species 8472 kind of they're more of a thoughtful process. Like these are yeah. just look like mindless killing machines, even though we're alluded to the fact they're very intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, poor instant Duke got dragged away. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm drinking for that. It's Lieutenant Duke. I'm sorry. Do you guys see the baby Gorn as we're seeing them grow up to be more humanoid in appearance a lot of what we saw of the Gorn in the original series. Like, is this just part of their growth evolution that we just haven't witnessed before on screen? Well, well, that's the thing. I want to see more about how they mature to a full adult Gorn. I really feel like that's something that we deserve to see, but also we're kind of shoehorned and not ever covering that, if that makes any sense. Right. Unless we do another, you know, mirror episode or something like that. Yeah. But but I would love to I would love to see it. It, it. I guess it would make some sense if they're grown. They're a little bit different. You know, I even introduced to John why you weren't online, Cal. Maybe there's some virus that's introduced to their species that caused them to be more humanoid at some point. But, yeah, I would I would definitely love to have an episode exploring that just a little bit more. So, and Cal, if you, and I mentioned this earlier, if you like, uh, just look up the Gorn on Enterprise, the series, and there's a mirror episode where you actually see a, like, a, a adult Gorn, and it looks a lot like these adolescent Gorn, just bigger. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. So it looks nothing like the thing we saw in TOS, which again is probably a lot to do with the technology at the time and all that. I loved how we learn all these little things about the Gorn, like they hate the coal, and that's eventually what we use to um, get rid of the last one. I think Spock killed one of them in his rage fit. Well, let's talk about Spock Smash, Spock Rage, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I like Spock Smash. <laughs> well, 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 John, we're always talking about handling those emotions, and we very much see Spock tap into rage. How and I guess I want to ask, how does he come back from this? You know, he was talking to Nurse Chapel there at the end, and he seems like he's a little bit bothered. Mm, I think some good loving is going to make that go away. <laughs> 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 but though, I seriously, I I think he comes back from it fine, just because, you know, if he was full Vulcan, I think it would be trouble coming back from it. But I think his half human side is what's going to help him control this more. But there's going to be a downfall. His has he's going to have to tap into his half human side to handle these emotions better. But I don't think he can ever go back. Mm. 
Well, keep in mind, too, that we have seen Spock not look and act traditional Spock a la Discovery Season 3. So, you know, he has explored other avenues of himself before, but I think Jonathan is spot on. Mm, Indeed. Indeed. Let's talk a little bit about Hammer in this episode. Oh, boy. So he's an Anar, can't, uh, he's blind. He depends on his other senses, a little bit of telepathy in there. And we see where from the very beginning of the season, he's kind of took your hero on his wing and they've kind of worked together in various scenarios. But boy, do we ever see this coming by the end of the season? Himmer gets spit on by Agorn and uh, I guess the rest is history. Thoughts on Himmer in this episode? So here's kind of where my comment early on about, you know, maybe we kind of got a little rush to stay in canon or took the easy way out. Like, so obviously we don't have Hammer and TOS. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we have to figure out a way, a reason why we don't. Well, here's the reason why, you know, and not that I'm I have a problem with it. I think it was done very well. But there's some holes here. Let's say if it was uh, Captain Pike that it got spit on, I can come up with different ways that they could have saved him. So, for instance, we know the Gorn don't like the cold and we know that Anars, Anars love the cold and can resist the cold. So why not deep freeze him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until yeah. we can figure out how to get, you know, let's put him in cryogenesis. I mean, I think there was a few options that just were not explored. And I know that had a lot to do with him and maybe he didn't allow them to come in. But I still think like if it would have been Captain Pike standing there or number one, I think we could have explored some other options very easily. But we had to have a time where it explained why we don't see him in TOS. Yeah. Now, now they, they did mention they did mention that depending on the species, the incubation period could be longer or shorter I think they said a couple of days for a human, but for Anar, they did not know what the incubation period was. And it was pretty quick from what what we can tell in the episode as he was starting to turn. And, uh, you know, he did his his Spock moment, need of the many and, and, and um, <laughs> ended it. Uh, Kyle, thoughts on him or in this episode, his journey? You know what? I am going to answer your question, but I think I'm going to answer it a little bit larger than this or are one singular character. What I liked about this was this was not the finale for the for the season. It was a turning point in the characters. And even though this is episodic, I like the sacrifice or the ending of his story so much so because I wasn't expecting it. I think yeah. I would have been less shocked had it been the finale. And that's why I mentioned it not being the finale, Mm. but it makes me not take anything for granted with these characters simply because they're pre the original series. Therefore, I say, oh, well, everything's going to be fine for them. No, maybe it's not. All right. And you mentioned something else that we mentioned, I think, last week. You know, it's it's you don't want to have too many storylines we're following. I think they would kind of bog us down in detail. So the fact that they're and really Hammer's story had really reached the logical conclusion. You know, I don't think there was much more important we could go into his story uh, to, you know, benefit any. So maybe we need to focus more on these other characters. So I think they're doing a great job of eliminating certain storylines to continue with others without getting bogged down. Yeah, and also his his story in large part was there to serve Yahira's. Right. It is the catalyst which makes her stay on the Enterprise and put puts her in that position that she's gonna be famous for in the future on the on the flagship vessel. So yeah, his story very much was in service to her, but by that same token, I feel like his story was a good, well well done, flushed out story a character who had moments that we could gravitate to and make us laugh and become very fond of him. So just a well fleshed out character, well done. And, you know, once we see Yahira in many series <laughs> movies from now, we'll know that Himmer was part of the reason she's even staying in Starfleet. So 
Yeah, great story for him. And that's what's so cool about this series or about the way they're doing this. They're taping, they're taking the tapestry and they're tacking things to it that enhance the tapestry, not tear away from it. And that's what's really, really cool. Indeed. And I'll just add one last thing. We did see the little girl on the ship that they wind up helping. And I feel like that was sort of a mirror for Lon story. And we see her story kind of kind of come mm-hmm. sort of full circle where she was the afraid kid that got or maybe teenager that got rescued by number one. And she's grown now to help this kid, this new kid in a similar situation Definitely could see the growth from her character, whereas in this story, she was the one that was being encouraging, that was helping this kid get through that. And I really, really love that in this episode, in addition to the callback from Mbinga thinking that's his child for a moment. So they're just hitting it on all cylinders, man. And I I really enjoyed her story as well. And again, it was another one of those situations where we, you know, we don't see her until so at some point we had to have an exit. And yeah. Honestly, this was the best time for that exit. Like it was it was a a really great reason for her to exit. Uh it made sense and it fit the story. So I loved it. I th- I think she semi exited. Yeah, she you know, she's going off to take the girl home, but it's outside of Federation space. So Yeah. She's kinda on uh indefinite leave. Yeah, you're right. Kyle, I agree with you. I don't think that's a that's a permanent permanent thing. But but let me throw another angle at what I like about what they're doing. Let's take any of the Star Treks, you know, and I know we had Tasha Yar leave at some point, but and you had Wesley Crusher leave at some point. But think of your own places of work and anyone listening, your own places of work. The people that you work with, for the most part, you're not going to, in a say, a 10-year period of time, be working with the same set of people. Either you leave, they leave, something changes, X, Y, Z, one, two, three. And I like how they're kind of doing this with this show. You're not seeing this same set of characters stagnant into maybe season two. And I think it mirrors real world in some degree because these aren't just a group of buddies that are flying around in a spaceship. They're basically at work. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope we get Lon back at some point. You know, she may not be going long. Like you said, John, with him leaving, we're definitely setting up an entry point for a, a, a Scotty to maybe join the ship at some point. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm I'm game for whatever they do. I'm loving it. Yeah. Give me more. Give me more. We're going to go ahead and get ratings for the episode. And Cal, I will start with you, sir. How do you rate this episode? Easy for the shock factor and for the what I think was great writing. Easily five out of five. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I will be right there with you, sir. Five out of five baby guards. (laughs) (laughs) And I am going to say five out of five as well, guys. Okay, we, we, we got back up to your standard of it's five unless you say otherwise, huh? Yes, yes. <laughs> we had a slight detour, but, uh, you know, hey, you can't keep the bar up too high. Sometimes you have to let me down a little bit to build me back up. Oh, boy. There's a song in there somewhere. <laughs> All right, guys, what do you think of this penultimate episode of season one of Star Trek Strange New Worlds? Send that feedback into fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. You can also use those outlets to respond to Trek trivia. John, what do you have for us this week? All right. This is going to be a simple one and probably an easy one. And probably a lot of diehard Trekkies already know this one. Honestly, I did not. So I'm going to throw it out there and you guys may already know the answer. So here it is. Which actor was almost not cast unless he or she wore a wig for the audition? Hmm. Which character or which actor was actor was not cast unless he or she wore a wig for the audition? Or you can tell me the character if you if you know the name. Do are we going to get a a clue what show? This is a pretty uh, big question. Because <laughs> if I give you a clue for the show, you're probably going to pull it out. 
Uh, William Shatner? I don't know. <laughs> Definitely not William Shatner. <laughs> so okay. it was it, okay. It was after TOS before uh, Discovery. Huh, so nineties mm. era. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to answer, but I have a thought. But I'm not <laughs> going to answer. We'll give the answer next week. All right, guys, and that is which actor or character was not cast until they were a wig for the audition. And this is post-TOS, pre-discovery. All right. And guys, thank you for joining us once again. It's been fun. And we have one more episode left in Strange New World. So can't wait to see what the finale is and break it down as always. If you are into Doctor Who, check out our Doctor Who sister brother podcast, Discussing Who, which can be found at DiscussingWho.com. And definitely check out our comics outlet where we kind of talk about everything on the channel actually and that can be found at discussingcomics.com thank you for joining guys and until next time live long and prosper thanks for listening to the discussing trek podcast for more information, go to DiscussingTrek.com slash subscribe. been listening to the discussing network find out more at discussingnetwork.com